Now, I know you guys know everything pretty much about my life, especially if you listen to the podcast, a lot more if you listen to the podcast than you do following me on social media. But if you do follow me on Instagram, you know that Brett and I were able to just take a four-day getaway to celebrate our 26th wedding anniversary. And we were able to do so with the help of both my son, Brock, his fiance Taylor, and my daughter, Sierra, and her boyfriend, Roman. They really stepped up and came over and you know spent time with Bob and stayed here at the house and just made it like super easy for us to be able to recharge our batteries. Super lucky to have such amazing kids. But you know what? It's not luck. It has a lot to do with our relationship and the way we've raised our kids. And I want to thank both of them for doing that. So like, what do you buy for that age group? Like, what do you buy for people that doesn't die? Like, sure, I could send them flowers, but those will die eventually. And they're all into plants. So I ordered both of my kids beautiful plants from Bloomscape. I thought it would be cute to send them money trees because we always say that is so money when someone does something awesome. And so we were able to send them a little card that says that was so money. Thank you for showing up for grandpa in the way that you did. And Bloomscape is this great company. They're also a sponsor of the show. Their plants are amazing. They deliver plants to your door. Plus they give you great advice on how to grow depending on what type of plant you have or what type of plant you buy. They can help you figure out what is the perfect plant for the right space, you know, depending on how much light you have or if you don't have any light. Thousands of people have already upgraded their spaces by adding indoor plants. It makes your home decor look that much better. The process of picking out plants for my kids was great. I also personally have used it for the plants that are in my home. And their website's just super easy to use, especially if you're trying to figure out what type of, you know, plant you can grow, even if you've never been able to keep a plant alive. They have experts who can help you. You get 15% off your first plant order of over $100 when you use the code SHALENE. All you have to do is go to bloomscape.com, and I'm going to spell it B-L-O-O-M-S-C-A-P-E, bloomscape.com. Enter the code SHALENE for your 15% off, and you'll get 15% off. Again, 15% off of any plant order of over $100, bloomscape.com. When you check out, enter the code SHALENE. What's going on? Happy Monday, or whatever day you happen to have caught this episode. This is The Shaleen Show. I'm your host, Shaleen Johnson, and today's topic is, I hope, something you're listening to for preventative reasons, or maybe it is to identify things that you might be doing in your relationship currently that you could improve, or maybe things you did in your last relationship, and it explains a lot of the reasons why it didn't last, and you'd like to make certain it doesn't happen next time. Either way, I'm super happy that you're here. Today's topic is a recipe for relationship disaster. In other words, the things you don't want to do, the things you need to change or improve if, in fact, you want this relationship to work. Let's get to it. Before we begin, if you are on Instagram and you're trying to grow your Instagram account, listen, the best way to do that is with the help of myself and my son, Brock Johnson. We have a private membership. It is just devoted to helping you grow your Instagram. If you need more followers, if you need more eyeballs, if you'd like to figure out how to monetize your Instagram, join us. Go to instaclubhub.com to learn more. All right, let's talk relationships, shall we? Now, as you picked up from the title, we're going to talk about the things that are going to kill a relationship or perhaps create a disaster in your relationship. But most of these things, I really believe you can improve And you need to improve, but you have to be aware that they're happening and you have to understand why they're happening. 
sometimes two people are just a really bad combo, or sometimes you put two really great people together, and either one or both of you has your own unresolved issues from your past or your past relationships, and you've brought that into what could be an incredible relationship, and you've started to poison or damage your current situation, but you guys could be wonderful together. There's still hope for you. So everything that I'm going to share with you today, I want you to know that you can change this. I think the first and most deadly combination in a relationship is where one or both parties are jealous or lack trust. I mean, that's what jealousy is anyways. It's a lack of trust. And a lack of trust usually comes from a lack of confidence on the person who is mistrusting. Now, sometimes that's warranted. It is warranted when the person you're with has betrayed your trust. And it's warranted to the extent at which you've allowed them to repair or rebuild that trust. Trust takes time. I have always trusted my husband, always, implicitly. But when he's betrayed my trust, for example, with the gambling, there came a point in our relationship where I could no longer trust him with money. And I couldn't trust him to know his whereabouts or if he was telling me the truth about what he was doing and who he was talking to. So in order to rebuild that trust, we had to start from ground zero. I was never one who needed to like know where you're going and let me see your phone or I need to see proof or, you know, I just never double checked anything because I trusted him. Once that betrayal became public, or I should say known to me, I shifted from having giving him all of my trust to going back to ground zero, the place where you are when you first meet someone, in which case you have to give them opportunities to prove that they are trustworthy. It's not the opposite of that. It's not proving that they can't be trusted. You're allowing them to prove that they can be trusted. And our agreement between the two of us at that time was that I'm not going to babysit you. I'm not going to steal your phone. I'm not going to put a tracker on your car. I'm not going to review the phone records. I'm going to give you the opportunity to be honest with me. And I am expecting you to tell me these things because omission is the same thing as lying, in my opinion. So you are to tell me where you're going and who you're talking to and what we're spending money on. And I took over the bank accounts. I took over our finances for a period of time. And then kind of one step at a time, giving him the opportunity to earn that trust back with me. Unless this person in this relationship has betrayed your trust, they deserve your trust. They deserve for you to believe in them, and they deserve for you to give them the benefit of the doubt. Unless, of course, they have betrayed your trust, in which case you've got to give them the opportunity to rebuild that and repair that. Because if you're allowing their betrayal to now be used as a weapon against them so that you can control them, so that you can have a you know tracking monitor on their phone and you know, keep looking them up on find your iPhone or figuring out where their location is constantly. Because some people do that. Once they're betrayed, they're like, aha, now, now I can control every single move. Now I've got reason. And if they question why I'm asking or why I'm snooping on their phone or why I'm looking, then I can just throw this back in their face. That is a recipe for a disaster. And frankly, it has very little to do with how trustworthy this person is and a lot more to do with your lack of confidence. If you don't believe that this person loves you enough to be honest and to be forthright or that you've made the wrong decision by trusting this person, then you're with the wrong person. It's just not fair to each other. And, and man, if you tell someone they're not trustworthy, they will live up to that expectation. I'm not a therapist. I'm not an expert at this. 
but I have been married for 26 years and I have been through betrayals. And I can tell you that because I told my husband, I trust you implicitly until you prove otherwise. And if you do lie to me, if you do betray my trust again, I don't know that I'll be able to stay. I don't know that I want to be with someone who doesn't value honesty. And by being honest with him in that approach, that's not a threat. That's the honest truth. I don't know if I could stay if he were to betray me again with money. I'd have to know all of the circumstances. But most importantly, I want him to know I trust you. And trust comes from intimacy. We don't trust people who we feel like they're covering up something or hiding something or they're not able to really tell us who they are and what they're thinking and what they're going through. And when you don't have that kind of intimacy between two people, it's almost impossible to trust, which leads me to my next biggest mistake that couples make, and that is not creating an emotional intimacy between them. So there's intimacy, physical intimacy, and physical intimacy is so much more powerful and so much more rewarding when it stems from an emotional intimacy. When two partners have an emotional intimacy, they have a deep understanding of each other. It's a connection that's hard to describe and it makes you feel so safe. And emotional intimacy is when you can express your feelings, your thoughts, your deepest, darkest, vulnerable side, and you know that you won't be judged. You know that you're safe. You know that this person understands you. It means that you can live separate lives, that you can be better together, but you can also be your own person. It means that you understand how to support each other. It means that you've got a, like a deeper understanding of their lives and how their past and their childhood impacted who they are today. When you have that type of emotional connection, that's when you, you really care about what your partner's feeling and they can come to you for advice, for help. In fact, they don't even have to because if you've got a deep emotional connection, you just immediately know that something's not right. And nine times out of 10, you probably know what it is too. It's a security that it's hard to describe, but it gives you a confidence in a relationship that creates a lot of success, I have to tell you. I mean, there are couples who've been married for 15, 20, 30 years who don't have that emotional intimacy. And when you don't have an emotional intimacy, it leads to people who avoid having sex, avoid a physical closeness. They avoid difficult conversations. They often don't share the same interests or hobbies or friends, and it's really hard for any relationship to survive long-term, at least I shouldn't say to survive, because we all know plenty of people who've been married for forever, but they're not happy. When you have emotional intimacy in a relationship, that's how a relationship thrives. And you can improve all of these things. You can improve your emotional intimacy as well. And when you improve your emotional intimacy, that improves your physical intimacy. And it also improves your level of trust. Therefore, I guess it goes without saying that couples who don't communicate, that's a recipe for a disaster. Or perhaps better stated, in a relationship where only one person is doing all of the communicating and the other person is just trying to make sure that the waters stay calm because the other person just dominates. I mean, let's face it, in most relationships, there's usually a more powerful partner, a more dominating partner. And that person is equally as responsible as a person who's more submissive in the relationship. But typically, the more submissive person is less communicative because they can't win. 
They feel like they're going to be judged. They're going to be cut off. Their sentence is going to be finished for them. So if you're the communicator, oh, P.S., while you're listening to this episode, if you're thoughts are going towards the other person and all the things that they need to improve. Let me just, you know, scratch the needle on the record and say, girlfriend, boyfriend, no, you need to be listening for the things in this episode that pertain to you because we can't improve a relationship unless we are willing to improve ourselves. I know that it's easier to think about what the other person could be doing better. I get it. But your relationship will not get better unless you focus first on, okay, so what am I doing? What can I improve? So if you're the dominant one, if you're the one who does most of the communicating, ask yourself what you can do to change that. That was me. You know, if you know my husband, you would assume he's the dominant one in our relationship. And I think to some extent he was. Like even when, you know, I call it our marriage 1.0, I was kind of intimidated by him. Like I wanted him to be happy at all times. But I never stopped talking and I never stopped communicating. I was always talking about my feelings and trying to get him to share his feelings. And But then when he would share his feelings, it wasn't I was trying to dismiss them, but what the way I came across was very dismissive. What I was trying to do was like, well, let's make it better, almost like toxic positivity. Like, no, 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 we're not unhappy. Let's do this, 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 and this. And even though my intent was to just keep things peaceful, what I didn't realize I was doing was kind of what his father did, which is you know, it's my way or the highway and everything is shiny, bright and beautiful and positive and we don't have any space for negativity. We don't have any room for anyone to complain. And so because of that, I didn't realize it until we went to therapy that I was smothering his attempts to communicate with me. He would try to explain to me something that he was upset about or didn't care for or didn't like. And while he was mid-sentence, I was already trying to fix it. And I didn't realize that was shutting down his ability to communicate, which leads me to the four C's that kill a relationship. And this is not something I came up with myself. I think I learned it from Pastor Andy Stanley. So he's got a couple of great podcasts. He's got a business podcast and then one that is very Christian based. I think you'd love them both. Anyways, he describes, and I don't know if this is his concept either, but I remember hearing it from him, the four C's, and this is so true, the four C's that kill a relationship. The first C stands for control, right? So if you're trying to control your partner, if you're trying to force them to meet your expectations, to have the same taste that you have, the same friends, the same hobbies, the same ideals, the same political views, all of these things, that type of control, like how they dress, where they go, what we do, you know, we go to bed at this time, we, you know, all the we comments are whether you realize it or not, don't bring couples together. If it's one party in particular who's doing all the we, who gets to make all the calls, who gets to decide how we're going to eat, how we're going to live, how we're going to exercise, where we're going to live, how many kids we're going to have, how we're going to, like if there's one partner who's controlling all of those things, even if the other partner and seems like a very willing participant, eventually they lose themselves. And the thrill of being able to control someone also gets very old. Because now, if you're trying to control someone, it's hard to be attracted to someone who isn't their own independent person, who isn't their own independent thinker. And while you might love it that you're the one who's calling all the shots, and you might convince yourself that you both want this, it really does lead to a mutual resentment over time. 
Ironically, those people who tend to be most controlling are those who didn't have a lot of control growing up, right? And so now this is their effort to try to take control of the world. And maybe even by controlling the person they love the most, they feel the safest. But usually controlling behaviors are the sign of someone who's got low self-esteem. It's someone who has had past traumatic experiences, who had maybe a childhood or an early relationship where they felt completely out of control. And so now they need to feel like they can control this. And you will often find that there's other controlling behaviors, like maybe they are very controlling with their food or their exercise or their relationships or other people, their environment. And none of these things have to do with the person who's being controlled, except that you're allowing it. And sometimes these things are really easy to spot, but more often than not, they grow slowly in a relationship. And then before you know it, you're in a relationship with someone who you've turned all control over to them just to keep the peace. And now it's a habit. It's the dance between the two of you. But you have to remember, control, even loving manipulation, like I'm saying we're going to do this because it's, quote, better for us. The outcome of that is a lifetime of imprisonment. And ultimately, you both are going to feel resentment towards each other. And these are things, like I said, that sometimes are really easy to spot. And other times they grow slowly over years and years. And they become habits in your relationship. So what do you do about it? You get help. It's really tough to undo this stuff. It's really important that both of you figure out your role. It's dangerous. It's codependent. You teach it to your children, and it's difficult to overcome, but it can be overcome. It definitely can be overcome, especially if both parties are willing to work on it without pointing fingers and without pointing blame. And and that leads me to my next C, which is convicting. If you are convicting your partner as a person who's wrong, as a person who's responsible for your financial situation, as a person who's messed up your children. If you're constantly placing blame on your partner and you can do no wrong and you are rarely apologizing, or if even in your head, you're hanging all responsibility on them, you're crucifying them in your head for the way your relationship is going, that's a recipe for disaster. You have to be able to Imagine yourself from their perspective, like sit in their shoes and try to imagine how difficult it is to be with you. And I say that with all love and due respect because, I mean, I do this for myself all the time. I think about when I want to complain about something my husband is or is not doing, I'll try to stop myself and go like, okay, let me imagine I'm him for a second. How would he defend this? And what would he want to say to me about the things that I'm doing? are not doing. So it is really important that we, instead of placing blame on the other partner, that we learn to find and see our own role. Okay, quick interruption. And I just want to thank those of you who understand how significant it is that we actually have show sponsors. Every once in a while, there's somebody who like writes a negative review, like, I don't like all the ads. I'm like, really? How do you think we pay for these podcasts? A lot of shows aren't as lucky as we are where we've got like people who I can actually reach out to and say, hey, I use your product. Would you be willing to be a sponsor for the show? So I just want to say thank you to those of you who get it. You understand like this is how we make things work. And we're just really lucky that I get people who reach out every day 
and they want to run an ad on the show, but I'm like, but I, I would never use that product. So thank you so much for those of you who do support our sponsors like My Soul CBD. My Soul CBD is the company that we use for CBD products for everybody in our family, including our dogs and including my father-in-law. CBD is remarkable. It just is. And I think it's really important for those of you who want to make sure you get a high quality CBD product that doesn't have any THC. Remember, it's the THC is the thing that can make you feel like you're high. CBD itself, the compounds are such that they basically help to recalibrate your central nervous system. That is why it can help with anxiety and stress. It can help with achiness. It can help with sleep. It can help other remedies that you're taking to be more effective. They pride themselves on having the highest quality CBD products. I love this company. Their products are gluten-free, 100% organic, third-party lab tested. And get this, I just did an interview with the CEO of MySoul CBD, and they third-party lab test the labs that third-party lab test their products. Like They have that much concern for the quality and the integrity of the products that they offer. Products that they offer, they have gummies, they have oil tinctures. You can just put a couple of droplets under your tongue. They have capsules if you'd rather do that. I personally take the dream capsules. Every single night, I take two of them. We give the CBD gummies. I love those too, but I give those every single night to my father-in-law. We use their now, their new CBD products for pets. You can try My Soul CBD by going to mysoulcbd.com forward slash Shaleen. Again, it's mysoulcbd.com forward slash Shaleen. That's where you'll automatically get 20% off at checkout. By doing so, you will be supporting The Shaleen Show and you will not be disappointed. All right, back to the show. The third C is coercion, which I think has a lot to do with control. The difference between control and coercion, however, is usually a big differentiator in the balance between partners. In other words, the partner who might be more coercive is the partner who is the breadwinner. And so they might manipulate or perpetrate their power over their partner because they know they can't leave for financial reasons, or it could be physical coercion, like they can intimidate and scare their partner into doing certain things or saying certain things or just behaving a certain way and using fear to control. So coercion and control really have so much to do with each other. But again, it's a type of abuse that often involves patterns of oppression. It can be criticism or isolation or threats or stalking or just poor treatment, negative treatment, yelling, screaming, ignoring, leaving. The cold treatment, these are examples of coercive control. And in case you had any doubts, these are very, very unhealthy behaviors. They have to be addressed. And again, they really should be addressed with the help of a professional. But in the meantime, if it's not you who's being coercive, if it's your partner who is, then you still have to start with you. You have to educate yourself and understand what it is about you that's allowing this to continue, that's made this okay. You need to work on yourself in therapy first. Read every book that you can find on these topics and work with the help of a professional. The fourth C is criticism. And I like to think of criticism as falling under the blanket of communication as well. The way that we communicate to our partner can either feel loving or it can feel like we're receiving criticism. And you may not even realize this. You may be making a simple request of your partner or a suggestion. 
You might be suggesting there's another way to do something. And the way your partner is interpreting that is as an attack on their character. Let's say, for example, that your partner is running late to an important dinner and you're really nervous about getting there on time and and it feels super disrespectful for you that, that your partner is now going to make you late. So it'd be really easy to say something like, you are never on time. This is so rude. You are so rude. And that would be, you know, your own frustration. It would certainly be understandable. And it might even be true. But it's not likely that your partner is going to feel like you're offering them some casual feedback. It's also not likely that you're going to get a nice, warm, apologetic response like, I'm so sorry, this will never happen again. I feel horrible. It's likely going to end up in resentment towards each other. Using absolute terms like always, never, you, like these attacks, those are attacks on a person's character. And it is going to make them feel criticized, even if you are right in doing so. Even if you are saying to your partner, why do you just throw your clothes on the floor? How hard is it to just put your things in the laundry bin? Like that would seem like a reasonable thing to say, but it can also feel like an attack on your partner's character. And so much of this is true in the fact that we end up marrying people who have our opposite strengths. One of you is probably a neat freak and one of you is a little bit messier. One of you is always on time and the other one tends to struggle with time, especially if you have tendencies of ADHD, such as myself. I've had to learn how to manage that and and how we could work together because these were very real conversations between the two of us when we were first married. My husband could not ever fathom being someplace and not arriving 15 minutes early. Like that was just unheard of. And I, the way that I was brought up by a father who had ADHD, I'd never arrived to anything on time ever. You've probably heard episodes where I've talked about this before. But I literally grew up in a household where, because my dad was always late because he had ADHD and he would turn into a positive, right? Because he didn't want to appear as though it was a negative to his children. So he would say these things like, Isn't this awesome? We don't even have to wait for the previews of the movie. Isn't this great? We're showing up to Thanksgiving dinner at your aunt's house. And because we're here late, everything will be chopped up and cut and we'll get to have full plate of our meal plus desserts. Isn't this awesome? Like, you know, he always made such a positive thing out of being late. Not only normalized it, I thought it was a positive thing to show up exactly on time or a little bit late. And it wasn't until my husband and I got together and and He was able to communicate, not at first. At first, it was just criticism, like, this is so rude. I cannot believe you're going to make us late. And that felt like not only an assassination of my character, but an assassination of my family's character. We learned how to communicate with each other, our needs and desires. And we did so by instead of saying, like, when you do this, blah, 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 by making it about ourselves. I feel out of control. I feel disrespected. I feel anxious and I feel nervous when we're going to be late to something. And the way that feels inside is so uncomfortable. What can we do to avoid that? That's the conversation eventually we had to have. That was my husband saying that to me. And and me being able to say to him, I feel like a failure if I am going to make us late. What can we do in terms of communicating the time that something actually starts and we create the system where I don't know the actual time that things start. If it's something important, he's going to lie to me by anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes. And that works. And that's a way we've had to learn to communicate without criticizing each other. 
And here's the thing with relationships. Relationships are so habitual. It's why we stay in them even when they're not going great. It's why they're comfortable even when they're uncomfortable because it becomes habitual. It's what we know. It's an automatic response. It's an automatic dance. It's the way we communicate with each other becomes habitual, even when it's not healthy. But please understand, you can change all that, but it does take two people. Using sarcasm, being hostile with each other, using poorly timed humor, mocking each other, rolling your eyes, name calling, all of those things are just so detrimental to a relationship. They're never going to make, never going to make your relationship better, ever, 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 never, never. So if you're doing that and doing that with each other, you know, maybe you're thinking, well, he calls me names and all I do is roll my eyes. You know, those are both examples of contempt. Those are both examples of conflict. Those are both examples of criticizing each other. And those become habits. These are the things that we have to change if we want this relationship to work. Because right now, what you don't love, like this relationship that you're in, perhaps that you don't love, it might just have so much more potential than the relationship that you're in right now. I'm telling you, my marriage 2.0 is completely different than my marriage 1.0. I would never, I hate to say this, but I just didn't know until we improved how unhappy and how yucky so many of those habits had become between us. I didn't realize how unfulfilling our relationship was and was heading towards if we hadn't made all these changes. And so your next question is like, but what if I'm the only person who wants to make these changes? We're going to talk about that on my episode that's coming out on Wednesday. So the episode right after this one, we're going to talk about what it takes to have a really healthy, happy marriage, partnership, whatever you want to call it, because we've learned a lot. We just celebrated our 26th wedding anniversary. We've been together for more than 30 years. My parents have been married for 50 three years. Brett's parents have been married for 50 some odd years. We have done a lot of studying, a lot of watching. We've done a lot of therapy. We've been through the highs and the lows. And I want to share with you how to get there. But step one is understanding what things need to change. So thank you for being brave enough to listen to this episode. If you love the person that you're with, I want you to open up your phone, open up your messages and hit the share button on this podcast and send the person you love this message and say, I listened to this episode and realized there's a lot of things I could be doing better. I love you. I hope you'll listen. And there's a really good chance they'll listen too. And maybe tonight you could, or tomorrow, you could make a date or an appointment or schedule some time to talk about these things, specifically the things that you want to do differently. Not that your partner needs to do differently, right? We start with ourselves. I think that's a really great first step. I hope that you'll do that. If you do that, would you do me a favor and take a screenshot of your text message? Like I'm holding you to it. Take a screenshot of the text message you're going to send to the person you love and send it to me in a DM on Instagram. I'm at Shaleen Johnson. All of my links, all of the places to leave me a message or to, to write a review or to tell us about the show, everything you need is always in our show notes. We do a great job of trying to give you all those links down there, including Insta Clubhub. Anyways, I really do appreciate you spending some time with me today and listening to this and, and being brave enough to make some changes. I love you. I mean it. And I'll talk to you soon. 